Good day and welcome back to the SAPFM podcast. We're really excited to get this thing back on the road, having started it in 2015. And now in the midst of the coronavirus in 2020, we've decided to reinvent it and restart it. So we're really excited. We put three episodes up, which we haven't um, released before. One with Dave Cornthwaite paddling down the Mississippi River for the Guinness World Book of Records. And Franz Eicher, who did the 11 Cities sup session and like all oh, back to back and then after that we do had a little conversation with um, with tev plaveniaks from sup mag in the uk so now today we're interviewing bertrand van den about his incredible trip down the zambezi river with seven other teammates and to do a first ever descent of the patoka river gorge from rapids 1 to 25 which is probably some of the most insane rapids in the world and always people thought it was actually unrunnable on a stand-up paddleboard before. People have been doing it for years, and as I mentioned, and I did it myself back in 1991 and, and just got stoked on rivers and loved the whole idea. But um, this is something different completely. Bertrand originally actually asked me to join him on this trip, and uh, I said no. Well, it was a long time ago, and it was a long way to go, because I live in Portugal now, and getting over to the Zambezi would be a, a bit of a mission. But he did it, and he went through with a bunch and a team of really, really great people. But now, the Zambezi is the fourth longest river in Africa. It's the longest east-flowing river in Africa and the largest flowing into the Indian Ocean. And the area of its basin covers 1.4 million square kilometers. So the Nile River is, is massive, but what happens in the Zambezi and goes over Victoria Falls, and it cruises down into the Batoka Gorge and becomes this boiling pot of incredible rapids. It's world-renowned. So if you're ever into whitewater rafting, you know, top of your list will be the Colorado and the Zambezi River. And these guys did it on a paddleboard. So listen up. It's an exciting one. Aloha and welcome to SUP FM, the podcast for stand-up paddleboarders everywhere. So with no further ado, let's get out on the water and on with the show. Here are your hosts, Nick. But yeah, Bertrand, welcome to SUP FM Podcast, and thanks so much for joining us all the way from South Africa. Thank you, Nick. It's uh, it's a pleasure to join you, and it's your podcast has been one that's inspired me in the past, and that I always, I didn't miss an episode when you first started it, for sure. Oh, that's great news to hear. Thanks so much. And it's really nice that we've started to, um, due to the coronavirus, we just relaunched the whole thing, because my... My partner Simon and he said, "Come on, let's get this thing back on the road." So we thought, "Okay, what the hell? Why not?" It's the best news. I I will definitely be uh, listening to every episode. Oh, excellent. Um, I mean, I was really dying to interview you because I remember a long time ago you said to me, "Hey, Nick, why don't you come paddle down the Zambezi with us?" <laughs> yes. And I was like, "Are you insane? Are you absolutely crazy?" <laughs> But um, yeah, we can get into that a bit later, but I just want to get a bit of personal context about you because I see you're born in, in South Africa, but from Paris. So how does that work? Yeah, um, so I was actually born in Potchefstroom, South Africa. It's a town, or it was a town at that stage, about an hour's drive from Johannesburg, um, which is central in, in South Africa, and grew up in Potchefstroom, studied there. Um, and then while studying in, in Potchefstroom, there was a small town, a little, like a 20-minute drive away from Potchefstroom called Paris, which would be the Afrikaans version of the word Paris. So that's where that comes from. So every weekend, every holiday, I actually worked there. There was some rafting companies. Rafting has just started in the country at that stage when I was a student. 
worked as a rafting guide every chance I got. And um, at that stage, I decided that at some stage in the future, I want to live there, which after some time uh, in the city working for big corporates, uh, got the opportunity to move there. And we lived there for nine years, which was amazing. So that's where the Paris comes from. Um, it's the no relation local... to Paris, France. Well, apparently the people who founded the town or some of the first people, they um, saw the the river running through the town, through the center of town and thought it reminded them of the actual Paris. So definitely a relation there in the name, but uh, very much uh, on the other side of the world. Absolutely. So what's the name of that of that river? So the river is the Vol River. And Paris is, um, or it was for many years, it's it's quieted down a little bit in the whitewater scene right now. But for many years, especially in the time we lived there, it was sort of the middle or the focus of whitewater kayaking um, or whitewater paddling, really, in, in the country. And still, um, up until before the lockdown, it was probably still the most whitewater rafted, commercially rafted river in Africa. So it's a, it's a pretty easy river, like grade two, three rapids. Um, a lot of volume of customers going through in summers. It's quite close to Johannesburg, so a lot of corporate groups going through. Really nice place. And a lot of the local whitewater kayakers used to live in Paris uh, because it was the easiest river to get onto, like after work, before work, on weekends, we could just paddle. And it's a really good river for training on. So um, because of the access is so easy. So it was definitely Mm. a good place to live at that stage, yeah. Okay, and when you were younger, what drove you to sports and outdoor pursuits? So when I was at school, I didn't do too many school sports. Um, I wasn't um, too interested in school sport. Most of the sports I did was um, extramural outside of school. Um, my only official school sport really through high school was chess, so um, that might tell you something. And... Um, <laughs> I did get involved in paddling in high school, so we lived quite close to a dam, and there was a um, the local university had a club there. They paddled. It's um, what we call in South Africa K1 paddling, which is mostly done on flat water. Um, K1 would be in other parts of the world would be kayaking, long racing kayaks like sprint kayaks you'd see at the Olympics, that sort of thing. Um, but in South Africa, a lot of people tend to do it on rivers as well, so they take these sprint kayaks or designs that weren't really meant for for rivers and they race them on on rivers and it's actually a really big sport in south africa so that's but where it started not on white water me. rivers uh, on, on flat water and river. yeah. uh some rapids yes yeah. so big races like the doozy and fish river and um yeah some of the berg rivers well some of the big races in south africa they do do rapids not as hectic rapids as you would do with a whitewater kayak but they definitely run rapids as well with these things that weren't really designed to do it built from fiberglass carbon fiber so they're not ideal for for racing on rivers but they're really fast if you can stay upright there and they're really thin aren't they i mean they're like about what 15 inches wide or something crazy yeah around bottomed um pretty much no rocker on them so they're flat all the way through um, round bottomed, like sprint, sprint racing kayaks, um, mm-hmm. singles or doubles usually, and uh, it's 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 a big sport in South Africa, a lot bigger than whitewater kayaking, to be honest. And um, that's mm-hmm. where it started for me at this university club. I was still in high school when I started paddling with them, and then um, that's also where I the first time I saw somebody roll a kayak. That's it was right at the start of whitewater kayaking in the country. So. Um, one of the guys built like a little fiberglass thing there, one of the students, 
And the first time I saw somebody do an Eskimo role was there at that club. Okay. And what is your, um, can you recall your first experience on a stand-up paddleboard? Like, where was that and, and what is it like? Because obviously it's very different to, to what yeah. you're like. So um, right after that, when I started university, I started playing canoe polo and doing whitewater kayaking. So that was my main sport, whitewater kayaking, uh, being a river guide as well for then the next probably 18 years, at, well, a little bit less, so 16, 17 years at that stage when I first heard about stand-up paddleboarding. And the ocean stand-up paddleboarding didn't really appeal to me living um, in Paris because the only access we had to water was whitewater. And then one day I saw a video clip of one of my kayaking heroes, Dan Gavir, um, on a paddleboard going down a river. And it just... There was just something about looking at that YouTube clip um, of Dan Gavia on that inflatable board going down a whitewater that made me think this this might be interesting. This is something that I, w- I need to try. And um, so that was the first time I saw anybody do it, and even though it was on a video. South Africa generally tends to lag in a lot of international trends. And um, so at that stage, nobody in South Africa had a board. And it was just um, me starting to interact with people online, starting to follow some people doing it, especially with Dan Gavir, chatting to him on Facebook Messenger and things like that. And um, eventually I just decided to order one because there was nothing available in the country. So I ordered the board that he designed with Starboard at that stage. And um, as far as I know, that was two of those boards came into the country through Starboard South Africa, which at that stage were focusing on windsurfing and a little bit of ocean stand-up paddleboarding and racing so they bought uh, brought in two boards because two people asked them about it and it apparently was me and andrew kellett who had the first two in the country so i I, i haven't even tried it before the the box arrived at my house and i unpacked it and got on the river so never been on a board before i bought one so what's specifically different about a white water board? Obviously, the, the, the fins are smaller and it's a, it's a wider. But what, what, can you just go through the, the differences between a yes. white water board? So at that stage, this, this wasn't too different to what some of the manufacturers were doing on the inflatable side. So with white water boards, I would say inflatable is definitely um, an advantage, especially in the shallower rivers like we have in South Africa. It's rocky, it's shallow. Uh, the composite boards just don't last very long. So um, that's definitely because one thing. Because of rocks, I guess. Exactly. It's, yeah. You scrape over rocks, you eat rocks a lot. And just because of all the rocks, um, inflatable is a good way to go because they tend to last uh, a long time. If you think about the rafting industry as well, the whitewater rafting industry, um, those rafts last a long time. They can take a lot of punishment eating rocks and things. So um, on higher volume rivers, I would say it might not be that much of an issue, but on low volume um, rocky rivers, definitely going for inflatable is a is a good idea. So that's one one difference. And then just being stable in general. So some other boards like yoga boards could also be wide and stable and high volume, um, but generally you want something that's that's nice and wide and will give you nice stability. So. That's that's the two things. Fins is a different story. Um, some people prefer flip-up fins. Some people prefer fixed fins. Some guys even paddle without fins or with very tiny little fins. Um, some boards have the fins gonna, glued on. I'm sorry, I was going to ask you about the flip-up fins. I mean, are those just a fad or do they actually work really well? Uh, so I did a couple of races, like long-distance multi-day races in South Africa, uh, like the Fish River. It's a two-day uh, or a multi-day 
downriver race that the same these k1 um, we call it canoes in South Africa, but it's actually a kayak because it's a double-bladed paddle you use. So these guys, um, they've got big races in South Africa, and it's a series. And so one of the races is on the Fish River, which is quite suit- suited to stand-up paddling as well. The, the rapids are quite nice. Um, and uh, so we decided to try that, a couple of us um, stand-up guys, to race it. Uh, we had 12 sixes and 14 foot inflatable race boards, most of us, and most of us also had flip up fins at the back. And on rivers like that, um, also going shooting like um, weirs, going down slides on the other side of dam walls and things, um, you definitely need a flip up. Um, so I think it's it's definitely worth it for some rivers, although on places like the Zambezi, it doesn't make a difference, and I would just go for fixed fins. Because the Zambezi is high and, volume, so you won't be eating any rocks. Sure. And how do those work? I mean, they're just like a box fin normally, just, just apply yeah. to a normal... So the flip-ups we used for racing on the shallower rivers, we glued a bracket to the back of the, the inflatable board. It's a, it's a design that I made, and I've done it for quite a few of the local guys. Um, and I've also sent the designs to some international guys as well who were interested in it. So it's a, it's a little rubber cast... Um, attachment that we glue to the back of the board and then into this we screw another attachment um, with an aluminium blade it's a big aluminium teardrop shaped blade and it just goes through one pivot um, with a bolt and the weight keeps it down so as you paddle um, this aluminium blade would drop to to the lowered position right at the back of the board um, like a rudder on a on a sailing ship but it can't turn. It's just fixed in one position. And if you eat anything, it just um, eating anything from the front, it will just flip up backwards. It will just rotate. So these things were really, they worked really well. Excellent. Okay. Um, now, obviously, the Zambezi is a, is a massive thing. And um, <laughs> that's why we, we're really chatting today. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so people have People have been kayaking and rafting the Zambezi for years. I mean, I even did it back in, in 91, and that's why I also became a river guide after that because I just loved it so much. But um, people have always considered it impossible to sup it. So how did the first idea of stand-up paddling the Zambezi come to you? Yeah, so this was now um, still in the infancy in South Africa of stand-up on whitewater. But we started incorporating stand-up as a class in some of the whitewater kayak festivals in South Africa. So there's a nice series of kayak festivals. Usually um, people, all all the whitewater kayakers would go uh, to specific rivers. Um, Some would be downriver races. One or two would be more focused on freestyle uh, or other aspects, but most of them are downriver races over a weekend. And uh, usually one day is, is the race, and the next day is just fun paddling and helping uh, beginners and doing a nice um, social paddle down the river. So these festivals were quite nice, and they were org- organized well. Um, quite small compared to some of the international festivals, but um, the local guys all went to these different festivals. So we started to introduce whitewater, um, with the likes of brands like Red Paddleco, um, which supported the idea. And then um, we had a, a, a sub division in all these races. So that's pretty much where it started. And at one of these festivals called the Ash River Festival, which is held in winter in South Africa, um, it's, uh, it's in, in the Free State Province on a nice river called the Ash. It's a very shallow, rocky, steep river. And... Um, one night at a at a barbecue, me and Shane just as a joke, 
we basically started chatting about stand-up paddling on the Zambezi because we were both getting into stand-up. We were enjoying it a lot. Um, and quite a few other people, people in South Africa were starting to do stand-up on, on Whitewater with these festivals. And, um, yeah, so it, it really started as a joke at a, at a barbecue. At, uh, we call it a bry in South Africa. So we were at this festival just chatting about paddling in general, rivers, stand-up. And, uh, and as a joke, we said, well, how about the Zambezi? And that's pretty much where we left it as a joke on that, on that day. But then in the next weeks and months, um, me and Shane started messaging each other. And just like, like the idea just from a joke started growing. And we started thinking, but why not? Why not do it? And uh, maybe ignorance a little bit, on, especially on my part. Shane knows the river a lot better than me. I've rafted it before. But um, Shane really knows the, the Zambezi well. And um, so on my part, maybe a bit Is of it, ignorance on the, on the river. Yeah. And on Shane's part, maybe a little bit of ignorance on how, what the implications for stand-up would be. We just started chatting. And, and in the end, we decided we have to go and try it. Because, I mean, let's put the river into context here. It's like 2,500 kilometers starting in Zambia, flowing through Angola along the borders of Namibia, Botswana, Zambia, Zimbabwe, and then down through Mozambique to the Indian Ocean. And Victoria Falls is considered to be the world's widest waterfall at 1.7 kilometers wide. So below the falls, just this for you guys out there, I'm not trying to educate you, Bertrand. Um, but below the falls, a series of gorges have formed home to some of the wildest rapids in the world. And so, I'm, you know, a lot of people have died in that area. What made you think you could paddle the or paddleboard the Batoka Gorge? Um, yeah, like I said, in, at the start, it started as a joke. Then after that, I think what kept us going was a bit of ignorance on the, the scale of it and what we were letting ourselves in for. Um, one of the things that helped is quite early on, we started chatting also to one of our friends, Paul Tisdale. Um, he is a Zambezi local. Uh, he, pad he knows the river very well, paddles there a lot. Um, he used to live there at Victoria Falls for many years. And um, he he also thought that there might be something to it and at least that some of the rapids we would be able to to take on on a stand-up mm -hmm. paddleboard. And um, the more we chatted about it, the more we thought that um, even if we can't do the whole section, there should be sections that uh, we would be able to paddle. And um, like you say, some people have died on the river, some kayakers, some rafting uh, people. It's a, There's just something magical about the Zambezi, though. The, the setting, Absolutely. the falls, the river, the people there. Um, there's just, the Zambezi has just got a special place in, in, in whitewater kayaking or whitewater paddling in general. And um, it, it was just, it's there, it's in Africa. In the end, we just felt we had to do this. Um, yeah, it's and an incredible place. I totally agree with you because, I mean, as I said, I was there in 1991 and it's just, you're right, it's an unbelievable feeling. just got me totally hooked on whitewater. Yeah, and what we said from the start, me and Shane, is if if we think that it's not possible, we're not going to go there and swim the whole thing, um, make, a joke, make a joke of it. We, we needed to prepare well. We needed to make sure that we all um, were able to paddle whitewater of that grade and class. We wanted to know that that it was actually possible and that we would put in a good attempt before putting this uh, team together. So that was definitely something that we discussed from the from the get go. Is we're not gonna we're not gonna attempt it if we don't think there's a, a good chance of success. Sure. Okay. So tell us in detail about the run up to you and your. It was a team of eight, right? Yeah, international team of eight. So um, the the whole idea started with me and Shane. Um, 
at that at that barbecue. And then so Shane is a internationally known very good whitewater kayaker. He's been in quite a few of the early um, whitewater kayaking. Uh, videos that went um, all over the world. Uh, he battled with the likes of the old Riot team when Riot Kayaks was still big in the business. So he, he's a well-known and respected kayak. He's battled rivers all over the world, Iceland, the US, um, done some really big, big rivers. And um, so he's he's got the experience, really, um, really great kayaker. So that was one. Um, Paul Tisdale, uh, because he was known in South Africa at the different festivals as well, and he came down to South Africa for some of the kayaking festivals, um, he was um, an early choice because he was a local. He could um, help us with logistics. He knew the river. He knew all the risks. So um, that was an early member as well. And then we started looking for for the larger team, and we – we looked for people who were really good at um, stand-up paddleboarding on the one side. Um, on the other side, would fit into the team well and uh, were keen to do the Zambezi and also to support, obviously, our um, the cause for it, which we can talk about a little bit later. But um, that's where we started. Then the next team member from South Africa was um, Philip Claassen, and he was a, a, a paddling buddy of mine. We did a lot of first descents in South Africa on SUP, different rivers in, inside South Africa. So um, because we paddled today, we, we live together in Paris, we paddle together almost daily. Um, that was a, a good choice. And Philip is also, he was one of the first guys also in the country to start um, SUP on Whitewater. Um, so he was definitely a... Um, uh, could definitely not do something like this on the Zambezi without Philip. And Philip was also an accomplished whitewater kayaker and he's done the Zambezi quite a few times, so he knew the river. Um, then the next two team members from South Africa were Andrew Kellett. Um, he does whitewater trainings. He's based in, in Cape Town. Uh, a lot of the local guides were trained by Andrew. Um, so much rescue and rafting and kayaking experience. He also trains. He's a bit a of a river legend, isn't he? Yes, he definitely a river legend. I was actually, especially in South Africa. I was, actually at, I was at school with Andrew. Actually, it was quite funny. Uh, such um, a yeah, good I've guy. I've seen him on the rivers quite a bit. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, and he river. also trains a lot of the guides for the companies on the Zambezi. He goes there often. Um, so, just with his experience and rescue experience, we knew that um, he would be an amazing asset to the to the trip. And uh, reading between the lines, we also thought that Andrew was thinking about doing a similar trip. So um, we we decided it was definitely a thing for us to do was to um, was to invite Andrew because with his experience and also he he was also one of the first guys to start SUP in South Africa. So I still can't really figure out if it was me or him, but it was probably Andrew who was on a whitewater board before me in South Africa. So um Definitely one of the pioneers. Cruising down the Western Cape Rivers. Exactly. And because Paris and yeah. Cape Town is so far apart, we don't really know what the other guys were doing always. But um, mm. definitely Andrew was – he was probably the first guy in South Africa on a, on a, white wa- on a paddleboard on whitewater. So definitely we included him. And then another guy that he knows from, um, from Cape Town who also at first lived in Paris and then moved down to Cape Town was Leon Peters who manufactures paddles – and uh, composite stand-up paddle boards. And Leon is also a very experienced paddler. He's done his time on the Zambezi as well. And um, so Leon was was the next guy invited to the team. 
And then after that, we decided, or after that, we were looking to round out the team with some international paddlers. And um, Nadia and Brittany were like the two easy choices there because we were following them on social media. We didn't know them, but we were interacting with them. A lot of us were interacting with them on social media. We were looking at their videos, reading their blog posts. They were so active in the community, um, well-respected, and they both were doing races on white water, paddling a lot of white water. So we decided that's definitely something that we needed to um, to look at extending the invite to them. Um, also, because we were doing this for a good cause um, and they've got some influence in the industry and in the US, um, we decided to invite invite them. Well, that's a great segue to talk about the cause because your mission priority was to support the rhinos, right? Um, Absolutely. Can you tell us about that? Um, yeah, in short, um, I hope everybody in the world knows about the plight of the rhinos, especially in Africa. So poaching, rhino poaching is a big issue. It still is a big issue. And um, especially through Shane, uh, we've got a good connection with uh, local cons- conservation. Shane is very active in, in conservation, wildlife conservation. And he's got this um, contact at Care for Wild Africa, which is a, a rhino conservancy. And they basically take in uh, orphan rhinos. Because of rhino poaching, usually the um, the older rhinos get poached and then sometimes the, like the little ones or the babies just get left. And so this place takes in all these um, orphans and try to secure a future for the rhinos because they are um, they are like really an endangered species, and um, it's it's a big issue with them um, being being hunted to to extinction really in Africa. So sure. um, so that was the cause, and uh, it it gave us some some more impetus and momentum with the whole trip where um, as soon as we, we decided on the cause, it was as if everything just started moving forward faster. Uh, up, until the, up until Shane suggested the cause, we basically um, we were thinking about it, we were thinking about doing it, thinking about the risks, thinking about the whole thing. And then when the, the cause came on board and we got that all sorted out, it was just, we have to do this. It's for a good cause. Um, this is a good way to raise awareness because it's never been done before and putting the two together just made sense to actually go ahead and do it. So that coalesced the whole thing and made it made it real. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, look, just before we get into breaking down the seven-day trip or, or, or longer, I think it was, but what um, what are some of the dangers around the trip? Obviously, there's a massive danger of death. Or um, How did you see it? Yeah, I mean, there's all the little things like traveling in Africa and malaria and little things that you have to just keep keep in mind. But those things generally aren't on things that um, living in Africa we re- we really think about. So traveling and border crossings and malaria and things are sort of general life in, in a lot of Africa and a lot of us travel in Africa, so we're used to that. So those sort of things that might be of concern to people from other countries or other continents, um, we didn't really um, think too much about. The immediate dangers of the river were a bit more of a concern. Um, so it... it we thought about it in different levels. The one thing is the real dangers like things like crocodiles and hippos, which in, in Africa are dangerous animals living in and around rivers. And that's something to really think about. The next level is the Zambezi is a big river. It's grade um, five um, whitewater. So definitely you can you could die on, on a river like that. Um, that's the next concern. And then just uh, smaller things like um, not being able to to properly stand a paddleboard on this river just because it's so big. Um, so not not a real 
um, danger to us necessarily, but also a danger of just like failing in supping the river was also something that that we thought about. Um, should we should we even attempt this? And um, I think also for the the girls from the US, things like crocodiles and and hippos were a bit more of a concern because in South Africa we we also have them on rivers. We're careful, um, but still it's it's always a danger. But percentage wise, maybe not that bad if you know what to do on the rivers um but with local people like paul also there we knew we we could safely navigate around those things like crocodiles and 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 that sort of thing and um with experts like andrew and shane with when it comes to river rescues and things we knew we were pretty well covered there so we just basically went through the list of what we thought could be issues and then just slowly ticked them off and said um well this one we think we can manage this one we think we can manage and then just planned the whole uh trip in such a way that we could slowly build up to it and that was that was pretty much the way we dealt with the dangers Okay, because I, I read um, some of Brittany's work afterwards. She she wrote quite a few articles about it, which she is did. great. And uh, she was really concerned about the crocodiles. She was. Generally, don't crocodiles hang? <laughs> yeah. They don't. Don't they generally hang to still water? They don't really move into fast moving water. And and when I was there, I saw the crocs were pretty small, so yeah. I don't think they could do much damage. Is that correct? So in this on the section, like you say, so on other parts of the Zambezi where it's flatter and no rapids, there are lots of hippos and crocs. Um, on the Batoka Gorge section, which is the section just below the Victoria Falls down for the first 25 um, rapids, um, in that section there are a couple of crocs, well-known crocs, so all the local river guides and river rafting companies know where they are. So they tend to stay in flat sections in between rapids and they don't move around a lot. So um, going through the rapids is completely safe from, from crocodiles at least. Um, you wouldn't find them in the rapids, but uh, paddling some of the sections in between the rapids, Paul would say, oh, this is one of the sections where there's a really big croc in this pool. Um, we would sometimes see them on the side. Sometimes we wouldn't see them, and that's probably worse, even if you don't know where it is. Um, but what we did every time that Paul told us, like, this is a section where we know there's a big croc, we would just all come together and make one big raft with all the saps because Paul's... Um, thinking and i think it definitely was right is if any one sup was off by itself it might look like an easier target for a big crocodile whereas if we all rafted up like held onto each other's boards and made one big raft it might be too big and intimidating for anything to attack so um that's pretty much what we did every time we got to a big pool where we knew a big croc was we all came together very quickly off to the rapids held onto the boards and then drifted down until the start of the next rapid so um and that it must be quite concerning <laughs> Yeah. It must be quite concerning if you've got an inflatable paddleboard. Paddle exactly. But, uh, hopefully the croc <laughs> didn't know it was inflatable. So, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so, and just one last thing about the dangers. When you're going through a rapid, obviously um, there's a danger of being caught in a rapid and it's not, not coming out at all. Yeah. Um, did anything like that happen at all? So a, a couple of things that, that we did in the planning is we picked the time of the year very well, I think. Um, Paul, with his experience of living there, knew which time of the year it should be better for stand-up paddleboards. We told him sort of what we were looking for in, in the rapids and he told us uh, early November would be the best time to get the river uh, looking the way we wanted it. Um, so basically very low level Zambezi was, was what would suit us for this trip. 
um, as it gets bigger and higher through the rainy season, then um, the hydraulics get bigger, the wave trains get bigger, and uh, we just decided that that wouldn't suit paddleboarding very well. So, so that was one thing we looked at, getting it at the right time of the year at the right level. And then just um, yeah, thinking about uh, the safety equipment was another definite thing that we discussed for weeks and weeks and weeks ahead of the time. Uh, the other thing is for um, quite a long time before we started getting fit, started paddling a lot, all of us started, a lot of us started doing things like the sort of um, breathing exercises that the um, the free divers would do. So just to increase um, the time that we could hold our breath because we knew that one risk was just being under for quite a long time in the Zambezi. And if you can relax underwater, being held down for a while, um, we knew from experience that the Zambezi being a big big high volume river um it eventually you go down river and you will pop up so you just need to be able to hold your breath for long enough to to get through it um so having the safety equipment having the being fit and being able to hold your breath for a while and relax underwater those were the things and we weren't concerned like other rivers in south africa with hitting rocks or things that much because the zambezi is being a high volume river the the risks are more in the hydraulics and the movement of the water compared to actually hitting something like some of the lower volume creaking rivers are more the risks are more like hitting your head or um getting hit on a rock breaking something or, or something similar to that the zambezi the the dangers are more uh the water itself it almost sounds like you're preparing for a big wave session now. exactly so what a, 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 we did similar things than what a big wave surfer would do really in in preparing so you, you have to be fit you have to be able to hold your breath and you have to be able to relax and i think that's that's very similar to what big wave surfers do and obviously there's the heat and walking down into the gorge, which is a massive thing. And I was reading a little bit about Nadia, which she was writing about, saying uh, one day she, I think she had a heat stroke or something. Absolutely. Really, so really that's difficult to deal with. N- November in, in, um, in Zambia or um, Zimbabwe, uh, we spent time on both sides, is super hot. So um, it's definitely one of the concerns is heat stroke. And it's mostly walking walking down into the canyon and then walking back out, especially the out. It's a, it's a long walk out. It's a canyon. Um, it's tough roads, hiking out. You're carrying a lot of equipment as well. Uh, it's it's definitely a thing. And, and especially with it accumulating over a couple of days doing the same thing, um, it, it gets tough. So one of the hardest parts of the day is actually the hike out. Um, every day mm-hmm. and uh, November is also before the big rainy season so you don't get those thunder showers and things coming in and cooling it all for a couple of days so it's it's dry and it's very hot so keeping hydrated was also a, a big thing so drinking enough water hopefully something that a few Zambezi lagers Abs- could abs- absolutely <laughs> absolutely and uh, it's okay. funny being uh, thinking about dehydrating while you are on a river that's it's just it's water everywhere. It's high volume. It's big waves, and you still have to think about staying hydrated, drinking water from your water bottle. It's just it's a weird feeling being in all that water and and being dehydrated sometimes. Did you have to carry water down all the time? So uh, one of the sponsors was Lifestraw, which they've got a really cool product where they've got a filter built into a bottle, and we could fill water from the Zambezi itself and drink it from those bottles through the filter. So uh, that was a really good sponsor that came aboard for the trip. Um, we had a lot of awesome sponsors. They're all still on our website. 
uh, for the trip. And um, but especially with life straw, um, helped a lot with the staying hydrated so we didn't have to carry three four liters of water each down the river for a full day of paddling um we could just have these bottles with the built-in filters which worked very well must have been a massive help that's great absolutely so could you break down the the trip for me i mean how long did you guys spend up there so it was pretty much two weeks uh we flew into the zambia side uh spent uh, a day there with um some of shane's friends that he knows on the zambia side um, and then went across to the Zimbabwe side of the river um, next to the falls. So stayed in Victoria Falls there with Paul. Um, so that was our base for the whole thing. We had good internet so we could keep uh, the social media and the videos and things going while we were there, especially for the ladies from the US. That was really good to do. Um, we could keep everybody updated on the progress. The first couple of days we basically spent on the lower part of the Zambezi, so that's basically rapids between 18 to 25. Um, and that was the idea was because that's the easiest section on the, the whole um, full day rafting trip. The full day rafting trip basically starts below the Victoria Falls at rapid number one, and then it goes to rapid number 25. Um, with that, that's um, being the, the complete section uh, for the rafting. Um, the last part is actually what they would consider the easiest. So let's say from about 16 or 18 to 25, you are a bit limited to where you can actually walk in and walk out. So you have to keep that in mind. Some places, the gorge is just so steep that you can't get in or out. Um, but the the last third was pretty much the, the part we started on and started paddling for the first few days just to get used to the river and the volume. Uh, because the none of the really bad rapids were on that section. Okay. And then, so then slowly you worked back until a full day run, which is what, about a week later? Yeah. So we basically decided to break the river down into three sections. So we started on the bottom third. Then when we were comfortable with that, we moved to the top third, uh, the first third. So that's rapid one down uh, to another place where we could get out about a, a third of the way down, um, where we could hike out the canyon again. And so that was the, the the second sort of section we focused on and getting to know the lions. Because the other thing is, um, with the kayakers being experienced on the river, the lions are sometimes different uh, with a sap than what you would do on a kayak. Um, running a ledge and a booth, for instance, on a kayak for any whitewater kayakers out there is not as easy on the on the saps. So on the sap, we, we often had to change lines and try different things that you would in a kayak not run that made more sense in the, in the on the stand-up paddleboard. So we had to explore, see what was possible, run things like rerun rapids. So often we had to, had to walk back and rerun a rapid a couple of times to find a good spot to um, to run it. Um, it. It was very different to kayaking the same river or rafting even the same river. We had to, to have a different approach in, on a lot of these rapids. So after doing the last third and the top third, we were starting to, to gain the confidence that it, this was actually possible. And then we incorporated the middle third. And as you say, the last day we spent on the river there before flying back the next day was a, a full section doing the whole top to bottom section of, of the river. Um, yeah, and it, it made sense breaking it down and, and really um, focusing on some of the harder rapids a couple of times and making sure that we knew what to do where. Uh, before we put the whole section together. That sounds like the perfect approach, but were there any hairy moments going down when you thought, whoops, what's going to happen here? Absolutely, absolutely. So um, 
we also took one day where we scouted um, the whole section. We we decided like pretty much halfway through the trip um, that we would just take a big raft and take a, take a scout, everybody um, going down, some of the guys to kayaks, and we would just do the whole section, not with stand-up paddle boards, and just see every rapid, look at them, spend some time next to them, looking at the lines and things. And on that day, um, Leon um, was in a kayak and he popped his shoulder, which was a bit of a, a scary moment. And just like him being an experienced kayaker doing that just was a bit of a reality check for all of us, especially on the stand-up paddle boards, um, wanting to do that same rapid a few days later. Um, that made us think a little bit. And then... How did he do that? Did he pop it on a rock? Uh, he basically went upside down and just uh, the the way the hydraulics pulled on his paddle, uh, from what I understand, I, he, he would know the story a bit better, but uh, from what we could see or from what what he told us, that's what I understand. It was just the 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 way the hydraulics worked when he when he went upside down as his shoulder came out and uh, mm. we had to pick him up and that was what's the end of his paddling um, after that for a while so yeah that's that was pretty pretty scary and a reality check and being one team member down on the stand-ups that was not ideal but um, these mm-hmm. things happen and that was also from the start we said we needed a team of around eight so that we can get good video footage get good photos um so that um if somebody you never know somebody could be sick for a day something happens then at least the team is big enough to still have a good attempt at at all these rapids and the idea was to get as many of these rapids standing through and with a team of eight let's say five on any given day would attempt a rapid then at least you've got five chances of somebody standing through that specific rapid. So um, I think that, that was one of the things that we planned for if somebody couldn't paddle for mm-hmm. a couple of days. So, But definitely a reality check. Uh, Nadia went into a, a, a bit of a, a big hole that you probably didn't, didn't want to swim um, at one stage, which was a bit scary. Paul tried to throw a, a throwback to a uh, she didn't even see it. The river is so big. Sometimes you just you can't even see somebody throw a throw bag at you. Uh, she went for a, a bit of a nasty swim. Um, I had some downtime. She held under. She, we all thought she was going to be held under for a longer time. In the end, she was really good and she focused. And she like when she went over the ledge, she cooled down into a little ball um, because it's very aerated and a massive hole. So as she went in. Um, on the green wa- on the green water leading into the big foam pile, she tucked into a little um, a little ball and went deep, and that's probably the best thing you can do there. So, of course, she went deep. She like sort of flushed underneath the big uh, recirculating part, and uh, so we were all more worried than. Um, luckily, she focused and and made sure that she went deep and came out like below the the recircling part. So. She was she was fine, but it, it was a scary moment for all of us, and I think also for her, like going into it, knowing where she was, because we all had a long look at that rapid for a few days, and we all knew exactly where we didn't want to go, and that was exactly where she ended up, and she knew it, like going into it. Um, so that was a bit of a scary one. Um, no, my scariest swim was at uh, thirteen. So it's a pretty long rapid next to a, a rock wall. And um, we've done it a couple of times and it, it shouldn't be that bad a, a swim there. But what we at that stage, after quite a few days, we got used to the best thing about the SAP for us was first thing is you can get on back onto the SAP halfway down a rapid, which if you swim with a kayak, you can't do. 
um, which is quite nice. The other thing that we quickly realized is with the leashes and a board that's, let's say, 300 liters of air in it, that's a very big PFD that you're tied to. Um, so the board actually helped us surface quicker than we would falling off a raft uh, with just a PFD, um, like a commercial um, rafting trip might end up with doing. If you flip a raft, those people would swim and they would have more downtime because they've only got the PFD with whatever, seven liters of, of buoyancy, where the SUP and having the leash actually gets you up quicker. And uh, so we were getting used to the SUPs and being able to just pull on the leash to get to to float again because the, the Zambezi is very aerated. So just with the PFD, you tend to go very deep and it takes a long time for you to surface because the, the water's got all these air bubbles in and the PFD is not doing as much as it would normally in normal um, water. So we were actually quite lucky with the, the inflatables and being able to surface quickly for most of the time. And on that one day, on that one rapid, I came off in a big wave. And as I was trying to... to to pull on the leash, I just felt that there was nothing on the other end of it. Um, so, um, yeah, that was a bit of a scary moment. I went deep for a long time, went down the rapid, ended up in what they call jailhouse eddy, uh, which is a very big recirculating eddy on the bottom that's pretty hard to get out of, especially on higher levels. Um, it was a very long swim. Um, because I lost my sup basically, and uh, I was going to say you couldn't, you disconnected from the the leash, disconnected from the board. Exactly. So uh, normally um, the swims weren't that bad. Lots of water, quite a quite a bit of time underwater. But the first thing is I would reach for my for my leash that was tied to the life to the PFD with a quick release, reach for it, pull on it, and then just get back to the sup and hold onto the sup for like some of these wave trains and things because the sup. Uh, tends to float pretty well, better than in the PFD. But in this specific case, when I reached, there was no, there was no leash there. So I went down, I went deep, Eesh. and uh, I stayed in it for quite mm-hmm. some time. Um, but that's part of it, and that's exactly what we expected. So, but um, mm-hmm. still scary being down for, sure. for a bit of time. It sounds like an absolutely unbelievable experience. Are, are you looking at doing anything like that again? Yeah, I would love to do anything again. I just don't know what. Um, but <laughs> just, I think spending multi-day trips on rivers with friends, fellow um, whitewater sub people, is is definitely something that's always good. Doesn't matter what river it is, it's always nice. This one was 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 really special. We had a good cause. We had a good team. It was a bit of a first. Um, so it, it, the experience was was special due to all of that. Um, but any any multi-day trip on a river is actually a, an amazing experience. No, you're right. It is. It's it's phenomenal. I remember when I was first doing river guiding down um, the Breda River and the Durang River in the Western Cape. Ah, uh, those Africa. are good rivers, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it's good fun. And also here in Portugal, I've done a trip where we did nine-day trip down um, some of the central rivers in Portugal. No rapids, but um, a few little rapids. But yeah. it was so much fun just camping on the side of the river every night and just cruising down for nine days was amazing that's really, the really thing that's the thing it doesn't have to be the zambezi like um any any time spent on the river with friends um especially multi-days they we can just forget about work and all the other things it's it's always good mm. well bertrand thanks so much for telling us all about the zambezi river trip it really really was uh, an amazing experience to to listen to and obviously must be much more awesome to actually be on the river itself but are there any um links that you'd like to guide us with for more information i will drop quite a few uh links in the show notes about um Brittany's absolutely writing, nadia's writing and some other stuff absolutely so but, um, um 
first off, just some of the info or a lot of the info about what we did is still on the Stand Up for Rhino site. If you can link that up, that would be great. Um, so Stand Up for Rhinos. The, uh, there's .org. Link. Sure. Yes, that's the one. That's the one. So um, because it was for, for a great cause and we, strong, uh, we feel strong about this cause, I think that's a good place to go. Um, so just supporting in general the, the places like Care for Rhinos in South Africa. There are others as well, but um, they do good work. Um, and that's, that's the, that was the main focus for us. So that's always good, just being aware of the rhino poaching and the issues the rhinos are, are facing in South Africa and over Africa in general, I would say. Um, then also, uh, um, especially Nadia and Brittany, they're really active on social media and on their blogs, and it's definitely worth um, looking at what they're sharing. Um, always, always interested, uh, or I am always interested in what they're doing. And um, yeah, maybe uh, the rest of the team, we were... It was an amazing team. And also, just one last mention, Chantal Malta, who was uh, doing the photography for us. She got some amazing photos through the trip. Um, she was mostly on the raft going down with us, on the support raft. Uh, she took some amazing photos below the falls, uh, from the side um, of a lot of the rapids of us going through. So a lot of the photos you would be seeing in these articles and through social media and on the website would be hers. And she's also very actively involved in um, conservation issues in South Africa. So she takes amazing shots of elephants and rhinos and all these things. So that's also definitely something worth looking at. And just everybody in the team. It was it was a good team. We really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it was it was great. Great. Well, thanks, Bertrand. Really appreciate you coming on to SAP FM and telling us all about it. Thanks a lot. Thanks for your time, Nick. And thanks for the invite. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to SUP FM, the number one podcast for stand-up paddlers wherever you are. If you like what you've heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. Until then, we'll see you on the water. And there's just one other thing I'd really love to mention is that, you know, when we looked into coming back and, and doing the SUP FM podcast again, we looked around to see if there were any other podcasts. And all the podcasts, that were that, they've just come and they've gone. And we figured that this was because they weren't earning enough money to keep alive. And so what we decided to do was enlist the help of Patreon, which is an amazing platform where you can give whatever you feel. And there's no stress. If you want, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. But we'd really appreciate a small donation um, that you can get onto patreon.com forward slash subfm and support us. And we designed a whole bunch of things which you can, some benefits that you can create and, and get in touch with us more often. And uh, we can create more of a community with uh, through the Patreon system. So check it out. Um, we'd love you to get on board and, and help us out. And we look forward to welcoming you into the SUPFM community. So thanks so much for listening once again. Really appreciate it. And uh, if you can get out and paddle, that's great. But if you can't, just hang in there until the time is right, until we can do it again. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.